the Boka Tov. Um, I just want to dedicate the Shi'ur this morning to two amazing teachers that I remember uh, this week and then uh, in another couple of weeks, two Yorkshires. This week, uh, the Yorkshire of Jonathan Sachs, who I uh, really had the privilege of studying from him in his early days what I call the, the pre-Jonathan days, because there was pre and post. After he finished being chief rabbi, things became much more global for him, and uh, he's now become the voice, even though he's no, no longer with us, uh, a remarkable voice, in the, not in, just in the Jewish world, in the, in the wider world. And his Yorkshire is, I think, uh, this week, and uh, again, may his neshama have an aliyah. I also want to remember coming up uh, Erev Hanukkah, so well, I can talk about Hanukkah because I saw donuts in the supermarket yesterday, which is pretty challenging. I, I'm, I'm really, this is an Isoyan, you know, I talk about a cater, boy. Uh, but nevertheless, um, my, another teacher, which I, again, some of you may have known, um, Rabbi Irving Jacobs, from, originally from Wembley in London and Jews College, all the years that he was there, um, again, a remarkable teacher, and a lot of what I'm going to say today comes from his perspectives that he shared with the students in the college. Um, and again, may his neshama have an aliyah. It is very sorely missed, very, very special man. Um, today we're going to uh, talk about the Akeda. And the Akeda is a, a topic which is not easy to talk about, as we obviously know. Um, not straightforward under any circumstance, and I, I thought to myself, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to one of the shiurim that the, the OU puts on the American organization, they have a Parsha page, listen to someone talk about the Akeda, maybe I'll get some insights from there, and I got some very nice, what I call pshetlach, but he didn't really deal with the main issues, and the rabbi I was listening to, and there are two main issues which I want to deal with, which should keep us awake at night if we think about the Akeda, and we take it seriously. Issue num- number one is the question of, does everybody agree that this is the greatest moment in the life of Avraham Avinu? Right? We're all brought up to understand there were ten tests, ten trials, and trial number ten was the Akeda, taking his son and making a sacrifice, and we see it as a progression, getting to a point of absolute, the peak of, of spirituality and everything that we know about it, and the question is, does everybody see it that way? And I'm asking this because there is a very, very controversial statement by none other than the, gra- the grandson. The grandson of... Uh, is somebody coming in? Okay. Uh, somebody, none other than the grandson of Rashi, known as Rashbam, Rashmul ben Meir, who absolutely challenges what I would say, uh, fundamentally, the perception of the Akeda in, in our, um, the way we have looked at it all the years that we've studied this particular story. We know it because we hear it at Rosh Hashanah, we've heard probably dozens of speeches, I always remember Rabbi Feldman in London talking about the Akeda, uh, and uh, over the years in the States, and all the different different Torah and Chidushim that, that one's heard, and this Rashbam has never featured in anybody's speech. I spoke about it once in Rosh Hashanah a few years ago because I felt it's important to know that there is a different perspective. 
And it's coming from a fantastically traditional source, none other than the grandson of Rashi. Um, that's point number one I want to deal with. And point number two, which is my favorite discussion, is about the age of Yitzchak at the Akedah. Right? You go to whatever class in any school uh, around this neighborhood or around Yushalayim or wherever, and you'll ask the kids, you know, Ben Kama, Yitzchak, Bakedah, Everyone puts up their hands, Shloshim Vashev, everyone will say, yeah, he was 37, obviously. The only problem is, when you sit down and think about it, it doesn't make sense. It really is a problem. That 37-year-old man, and we're talking about a 37-year-old man, who's clearly a very significant person, would lay there and say to his uh, uh, father, Abba, he didn't even say, you know, point to where he should be killed. The passivity of Yitzhak is very very disturbing. The, um, the, the, the whole story is very disturbing. And again, particularly that he's 37 years old, and again we'll see traditional interpretation which does not accept that number. right? And we'll find out why that number was said, why the number is not accepted, and what do we do about it. Uh, more to the point, why the rabbis insisted on presenting him as a 37-year-old man. At the end of the day, if he wasn't 37, why tell us that he was 37? There's, a, there's, a, there's an agenda here. There's something going on. Okay, so this is what I want to deal with today. Let's hope we'll get through this. Have a look at the page in front of you. We've got um, the... What's the range that, that, that... The age that he could have been besides 37-year-old? That's going to be very controversial. The Ibn Ezra we're gonna, is going to argue he's probably around by mitzvah age. Right? Tosfot will argue he's going to be, Tosfot meaning again the, the grandchildren of Rashi, going to argue he was probably around his, his early 20s. Right? All of them are absolutely out, almost, I will use the word outrage, that we could suggest he was 37. Right? As you'll see, the Benezra says a 37 year old man in that position would have got off, got off the, the altar and run a mile. Because his father's about to kill him. Sorry? I mean, even a 20-year-old, even a 12-year-old would not necessarily just say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the call. As, <laughs> as, as they say in England, hold your horses, we're going to come to this, because it really is very... It, it, it's a, what I call the, the, the reality check on the whole story. It's the reality check, because we, we've all grown up. We went to Hebrew school, and our kids, our grandchildren, they've all grown up with this number, 37, and we're going to put it in perspective a little bit today, you may not necessarily warm to the, the approach I have, but it's an approach. And again, as I said, it's a bit more academic than, we, than I usually allow myself to share with the regular sort of shiur on the, of, of this basis. But you know what? As they say in, uh, in Ivrit, Lamalom, let's go for it. Um, first, the first point, Rush Bum, what, what I've got here on the page one, is the, um, the build-up to the Akedah, the, the few psukim before the Akedah takes place. The end, in other words, the end of chapter 21 of Breshit and the beginning of chapter 22. I'm just going to read the psukim. If you're in Beersheba at any time, you must go and see the well of Abraham. It is a phenomenal exhibit in Beersheba. Right? We were there a few months ago. Fabulous. And there's a great uh, Mahadrim restaurant just around the corner, so you can make a whole day of it. It's really something. Um, it's really, it, it, was, it was such a, shot, a, a pleasant shot, a surprise. And they claim they found this Be'er. They found the Be'er in Be'er It's really something. Um, anyway, so we know that Abraham is making a covenant with a gentleman called Avimelech, who's the king of the Plishtim down in that part of the world. 
ונצאים באר שבע, ויוקם אבימלך פיכול סרץ ואוי אבימלך, ונזקטים פיכול, וישוב אל ארץ פלישתים, ויגרשם אל ארץ פלישתים, ויצא אשר באר שבע, ויקרשם בשם השם אל עולם, ואז אברהם always does, he makes a place where people can come, and you know, בעל חסד, he was always doing חסד, so he makes an אשר, a place where people can eat and sleep, etc., like, like a hotel. And and he stays there for, for quite a long period of time. That's the build-up to the Akedah story. This is beginning of chapter 22, the fourth line. After these Devarim, now whatever Devarim means, words, events, things, what, what's going on? And remember the Rashi says that he gets very midrashic and Rashi says that Devarim means that there was a discussion between the Satan, uh, you know, you think Abraham is so good, I'm going to show you, I'm going to push him to the, to, to, to the nth degree. You know, all of these interpretations, the Rashbam is not going to go for that. He says Devarim literally means Ledaber, words. What words are we talking about? Achar, after the words that we just read, the covenant between Abraham and Avimelech, right? That was, those are the words that are now being referred to at the beginning of the Akedah story. Look at the fourth line again. God tested Abraham. Big discussion about that phrase, which I'm not going to go into. God called to Abraham and he said, Hineni. To take your son, at Yitzchak, who you love, Notice the the lechcha um, was the beginning of last week's parsha. Lechcha is the tenth nisayin at the in the end of this week's parsha. You know, there's like a symmetry there to the land of Maria, which we know is Yerushalayim. Put him up as an offering. One of the mountain. So Rashbam is prepared. Rashbam, the grandson of Rashi, a great what we call pashtan. Pashtam means he wants to understand the, in the, what I would call the literal face value of what's going on. Not the pshetlach and not all the musa. And, you know, put it all to one side. Not dismissing it, but we want to go for, uh, uh, again, as I said before, a reality. What is really going on here? So we know that the Akedah is following on from this covenant that Avraham made with the Plishtim, seemingly giving part of what is eventually going to become the uh, land we know as Eretz Israel, giving that over to Avimelech. And I remember hearing this brush bum first, in, first time in Israel 30 years ago. Somebody got on the radio, it was just around, it was probably even more 40 years ago, it was the time of Yamit. And we were actually in Yamit once, it was a beautiful place. It wasn't Eretz Israel, but it was given back in the Beginir to the, to the, to the Egyptians. Of course, you know, we, we all remember from what happened in Gush Katir, and the, the, I mean, without even getting political, the disaster of giving back Gush Katir and what it's meant ever since. But the reality of it is, this is a Rashbam which seems to come uh, to the forefront when those discussions happen, it's all coming up again, two-state solution, and what does that mean? Giving, will we give land, ever give land to people that we can't trust? I hope the politicians are not going to be swayed by... It's very complicated what's going on in America. You know, all the geopolitics and everything is all very complicated. But I want to stay with the Rashbam, because he's got something to say to us. Look at this uh, Hebrew paragraph. And again, I've I've presented for you the English that you can can take it away and read it for yourself. It's fascinating. He says the Rashbam, 
after these things, says if this phrase always is a bridge. It's a bridge to what came before. So after the story where Abraham kills the, the kings, read it last week, God said to him, Don't be afraid, Avram, you, you, you know, you did okay over there. And then, then we know that Yitzhak was born. This is a kind of review of everything that's happened till now. But you got Avraham, etc. Eventually, there is a, a Rivka is born. That's also another example where the words Achad is connecting two different sections of the Torah and sort of juxtaposing them together. And he gives a third example. I'm not going to go through all these examples, but what I want to show you is the following. If you just turn over the page, uh, he gives a whole bunch of examples of the use of that phrase, Achad Have a look at page 2. Page 2 says, if we're going to link the story of Avimelech and Avram, and what Avram agreed, the covenant that he made with Avimelech, and we link it to the Akeda, we're going to come to a rather radical and quite surprising conclusion. Because if we see Avram's behavior in the story of Avimelech as giving away part of, you know, giving away, as we would say, the family silver, the reality of it is that maybe Avraham is not being elevated by the Akedah, but there's another agenda here. Look at what the Rashbam says. The second paragraph on page 2. Velehim nesait Avraham, God tested Abraham, kintorov look at the English, God now subjected Avraham to a painful test, something which was bound to cause him grief. Is Avraham reaching the pinnacle of his uh, connection to God? Or is God putting him through, as we say, the ringer? Is God putting him through a test, which is the kantorol, to cause Avram grief, to cause him pain? I'm going to use the word, to punish him. This may very well be, the Akeda may be a punishment. It's a, it's, it's a shocking thing to say. We've never seen it like that before. And if you've never seen the Rush Bomb, you'll, you'll know this is a pretty uh, radical change from the way we view it. But he says it. And look what he said, back to the Hebrew, uh, top line of the Hebrew, he's, using, he's playing around with that word, Nisa, as a test, as a, as a trial, as, as, as a uh, putting through, someone putting uh, somebody else through uh, a significant amount of grief. Masam, Riva, that famous place where there was grief over the, over the well. Um, it's also called, use the word Masa, etc., etc. Um, now let me just see where, where we're going. Ah, so it says like this, second line, Klomar, the third word on the second line, So God is saying to Abraham, you became so proud that you have a son that I gave you. And now you went and made a covenant with the Plishtim and you are now sort of connected to them. Take your son and make him an offering. And then let's see what your covenant comes to. You'll have a covenant with Avimelech, but your son won't be alive. Basically, what is happening here, says the Rashbam, is that God 
is saying to Avram, you overstepped the mark. It's, 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 it's staggering what he's saying here. And he says, matzati achaka, ber, um, whatever, mem, I don't know what the abbreviation is, Shel Shmuel. In other words, he finds in the book of Shmuel, and it says, remember there was Sheva, seven wells or seven offerings there, and the number seven features very often in the relationship with the Philistines, in Tanakh. Where does it talk about it? It says in the third line, Vayi Aron Hashem, the story of the captured ark. It was in the land of the Plishtim for seven months. It was away, it was captured, it was gone. And, and the Jews were really panicking over that. Beginning of Sefer Shmuel. And there's a reference to seven offerings. I think this is the story of Balak. You gave Avimelech, God says to Abraham, you gave him seven offerings. You're going to suffer seven wars with your grandchildren and beyond. Unbelievable. And not only that, but they're going to win. The first war, which is mentioned in Sefer Shmuel, the Plishtim win. And the ark goes down, and the whole story till he came back, and it's a whole, it's a whole parsha. Or another interpretation, by your life. Hashem is saying to Avram, Shebanav Horgim Shevat Sadikim Abanecha, never seven righteous men are going to be killed by the Plishtim. For Elohim, if this, is, if this is not a punishment, I don't know what is. And who are the righteous men? Shimshon, Chofni, Upinchas, Shimshon, we know Samson, Chofni, and Pinchas, the two sons of Eli. Shaul is killed by the Plishtim. Ushloshabanav, Yonatan, the Malkishon, the, the, all, the, all the sons over there. Dovachan, another seven. They're going to destroy seven um, mishkanot. In other words, seven places where the, 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 the uh, holiness of God dwells. All of these places were eventually taken over and destroyed with uh, interaction with the Plishtim. And twice the Beit Olam. In other words, meaning not the Plishtim direct, but, but the non-Jewish world came and destroyed the two temples. It's really serious. And the Ark is there for seven months. So the Rashbam says, you've got to be real. Is the Akedah the greatest moment of Avram's existence? Or is it a moment of... Um, I'm not going to call it failure, but certainly recognition of Ram, maybe you're just overstepping the mark. Now again, I'm not here to, to God forbid, to criticize or to say negative, negative things, but I think we've got to think through the Akeda, which we've always seen as such a, 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 a trailblazing event, and please carry on looking at it like that, because that's the, I would say, the majority of people, how they see it. But let's be real, and let's try and understand that this is not a normal run-of-the-mill event. And if it's not normal run-of-the-mill, we can allow ourselves maybe to think the expression out of the box a little bit and see the Akeda in possibly different terms to the way we have seen it before. Is this the only interpretation? No. But as Rabbi Jacobs always used to say, it's always good every so often to have those... Um, uh, I've forgotten how he put it. Things that you've grown up with. Right? Being challenged. Things that you've assumed. Things that you've always, 
you know, they, 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 as we say, they can never be chained. The reality is, the beauty of Torah is that as we get older and as we think about it, maybe we can see a contrast. Not that I want to stay with the contrast, but let me look at it in, that, in, in, in those terms. And of course, the, the Rashbam here is a, is, a, is a tremendous warning about the land of Israel. Don't give up the land just on a, on a, I wouldn't say on a whim, but certainly don't give up the land when we are told quite, quite clearly this is the inheritance of Am Yisrael. We don't give away Eretz Yisrael. This is very, very clear. Now the Rashbam lived in, in France in the 11th century, dreamed of Eretz Yisrael, but never came anywhere near Eretz Yisrael, as far as I know. But it's a bit of a while, this. It really is a bit of a while. I, 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 I'm interested to hear your reactions, <laughs> whether, you're, whether you're too outraged or silenced or whatever. Has anyone heard this before, the Rush Bar? No, Has it? It's a, it's a bit... It, it is truly amazing. I agree with you. And it does... Is he the only one? He's the only guy, as far as I know. He's prepared. Well, let me put it this way. We're going to challenge the story in a minute from the Ibn Ezra as well. These are all mainstream. I'm not bringing here something out of, you know, 19th century, you know, Berlin or something, you know, that, that kind of school. Uh, this is all coming from mainstream Rishonim. This is the stuff that we, you know, Rashbam, we learn on Gemara all the time. Uh, and other, and, and uh, Ibn Ezra is, is uh, Ibn Ezra was amazing. The Kotzka Rebbe said, I don't know where the Ibn Ezra got the shoulders from to carry that amount of Yerat Shemaim that he had. Uh, Koska, Koska understood what Ibn Ezra was doing. And uh, the Levitz, I mentioned a few weeks ago, she said uh, she always loved teaching Ibn Ezra to a more Haredi crowd because they always thought Ibn Ezra was a professor in university. They didn't know who he was. And she would say, Professor Ibn Ezra Omar. And everybody in the, in the audience sat up, would you be professors? Because she said that they thought he was so academic and they don't realize there is a, there is a Masora, I don't know if it's true, that he's actually buried in England. There is a, a suggestion. He writes about the fog in London. He compares the plague of uh, darkness to the fog. I remember the smog, 1962. Some of you will remember. I, I was young. I was walking to school, and I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. It was terrible. And anyone had asked me in those days, I don't know what they did. It must have been very bad. Um, and the Ibn Ezra talks about the, the fog in London as, a, as, an, as an idea of the mamash, your meshachoshet. It was like uh, a tangible darkness. Uh, so he obviously was in London. Uh, and some say he's buried, I think they say even in Cornwall. He got down as far as Cornwall. To go for a holiday, go to Torquay is a very nice place to go. I mean, those who know England will know that's not a bad option. He may have gone down, who knows? He may be buried there. Most people, I think, say he's buried in Italy, but we don't really know. But we have his... Uh, Where did he Sorry? Where did he Again, mainly in Europe, but he was travelling around. He was a travelling professor. And therefore, the students wrote down his comments, which is why they're usually very cryptic, not easy to explain, but there's a, there's a world of interpretation. I'm just going to share with you something now. Uh, all right, that's point number one. Look, look at my conclusion just at the bottom here. According to the Rashbam, the Akedah is not the greatest moment of Avram's life. Precarious decision to give up the land. It's a talking point, and something that I think you should just put into your... Um, I used to say Rolodex, but now I would say into your <laughs> saved thoughts on your computer because it's really important. It's really important. Sorry? No, I, I, I forgot that phrase. Yeah, oh, the, remember that thing, right? They, they were fun. Much more fun than this, this ridiculous machine we play with. That's a good question, and I don't know. I, I, I would have to go back and look through and see. I, it's a, it's a great question, and I don't know. There, 
what would the Rashbam see as, as the great, as what the pinnacle? I, maybe Lech Lecha. He would say the very fact that he picked himself up and left his surroundings and his home and everything else, that would be the pinnacle. But this clearly for him is not. And that's a bit, it's a bit surprising. I would never stand up in front of a class and say this without showing you the text, which is why I showed you the text. Uh, look at number two, because if, you, if you're upset about number one, I hope you're not, but it, number two, I'm just going to pass around this. Uh, um, I picked this off the internet, two images of the Akeda. And I'm just going to ask you, image number one, just have a look at it. The question is, how old is Yitzchak in image number one? And how old is Yitzchak in image number two? Right, it's like at the, at the optician when they show you, you know. They're from, I got them off the internet. One is Caravaggio, which is presumably, you know, mainstream Christian, right? And then the bottom one is 19th century Tzvat. Interesting, right? So have a look at the two and just, again, what would you say, if anyone wants to be brave, what is image number one giving us a kind of, let's use the, the framework of where... Yitzchak is what age range we're talking about, as opposed to image number two. Image number two is very distinct, very Jewish, I would say. Image number one is very not Jewish, or maybe not so much. We'll see in a minute. The, the bottom one, the bottom one, which is more of a, not a it's like a ca- sort of a caricature, but they're both very, very interesting. I'll just let it go round just a little bit more, and then we'll. We'll have a kind of... Well, hang on a second. Hang on. Look at these images. What, what would you say the top one, when, you, when it comes to you, how old is he in the top one, if anyone wants to be brave? He's a young boy, right? Put him as a teenager? Yeah. Maybe with the hair, I suppose you would say, but, you know, maybe, it's like deceptive, but around 14 or 15, I would say. That would be... That would be my, my number for the top image. What's the distinction about the bottom image, which is the more Jewish interpretation? Yitzchak has got a nice spitzbit. Have you seen the, uh, the, yes, the spitz yes, over there? Yeah. Right? You know, so that already places him, I would argue, at an older stage of his life. According to Jewish tradition, go to Rashi, 37 years old. Right? So even though it's not clear there, but I would say in terms of the presentation of Yitzchak walking in front of his father, a much older person than in the top image. It, it, just very interesting. Just, and I could have produced another ten pages like this, but I thought this gives you the contra. 19th century Sfat at the bottom, presumably a Tamachochem who was painting. I was a few of them up there even today. And the top one, very much mainstream Christian uh, Catholic, I'd probably guess, um, Italian. Italian. But so probably in the in one of the art galleries in the world. I don't know where it is. This Why painting. We have to well, we'll see in a minute. That's going to be something a, a little bit. Let's let, let's put it this way. As I say, the whole shit is a little bit out of the box. So, you know, you'll have to forgive me. And if if by the end of it. You know, you're not talking to me again. I will, I will understand that. I will understand. Show us two kinds of I want to. I want to show you a contrast. One other Jewish one from another. Yeah. No, but this. I. I want you to see the the contrast between someone who maybe doesn't have the Rashi in front of him to someone who clearly did have the Rashi in front of him. But we'll we'll we'll, we'll see. We'll come to this in a minute. Just very very interesting. But have a look at the page. Uh, the bottom of page two. Vayikach um, Avraham. As it's, as it's going around, at Tzadzeola, so we know Avram took the wood, by Yosem al Yitzchak Beno, put it on Yitzchak, 
Ve'ikach bi'odo et ha'esh ma'achelet, took the fire and he took the, the knife, as it is called. Ve'yeochu shnei miyachta, they went together, and everybody says with the same mindset or whatever, however you want to read it. Ve'yome yitzhak al Abraham aviv, ve'yome aviv, ve'yome ineni b'ni, this kind of very, very laboured interaction between father and my son, my son, my father. Right, he's asking the question, where's the sacrifice? Look at page 3. God will provide the Ola. They went together. So, we are very much within the tradition of Yitzchak being 37. How do we get to that? And I'll show you here. Rashi, in fact, says it later on in the beginning of Parshat Toldot. Ben Arbeim Shana. We know Yitzhak got married at the age of 40. Right? That's clear. And it says, Rashi says, uh, the top paragraph of the Hebrew, Sheharei Keshabah Raham Mehar Moriah, when Avram came back from Mount Moriah, Nitbaseh Nolda Rivka. We're told that's when Rivka was born. Right? It's, it's in the parasha, the end of this week's parasha. V'Yitzchak Aya Ben Lamad Zayin Shana. Yitzhak was 37. How do we know? Sheharei because we link the death of Sarah with the birth of Yitzchak, meaning Yitzchak was, well, let's put it this way, Sarah died, she was 127. When Yitzchak was born, she was 90 years old. So you take one from the other and you work out that when Sarah died, Yitzchak was 37 years old. Next week's Pasha, Chaye Sarah, talks about the death of Sarah. The end of this week's Pasha talks about the Akedah. Put two and two together, you juxtapose again, and you say, 37 there, 37 here, Yitzhak must have been 37 at the Akedah. Alright, I hope that kind of calculation works. I'll just show it to you in the Rashi. Who mishanolad Yitzhak ado Akedah, from the birth of Yitzhak to the Akedah, shemitas Sarah, when Sarah died, the assumption is that the, both events are linked, not everybody accepts that, but Rashi does. Lama Zayn Shanayu. It was 37 years. Kibas Tzadi Aitaka he does the math for you. The maths. He says 90 when, she, when Yisrael was born, and she was Bat Kuchav Zayn 127 when she died. 37 years between the two events. Shneem Av Yuchay Sarah, etc. Ayeli Yitzchak, Lama Zayn Shana. Shanim, 37 years old. Rivka was born at the time when the Akedah happened. So he waited for her to be, be ready for marriage. And I, I'm going to stress this concept because it's bothered me for the last 60 years. Till she's three years old, then he married her. As I, I, I taught this once in Stone College. And those were the days when you had something called Oli Simcha. I know you still have it on, online. And everybody, the girls got married, and they put up all their wedding photos online. Now I suppose it's Facebook and whatever. And I just asked the obvious question. I said, I know, it's, I know this is the biblical world. And I know that everybody will say that three years in those days is not the same as three today. But with all due respect, she's, she's young. She's three years old. Is this a picture of the 40-year-old man with a three-year-old girl walking to the chuppah that you're going to put on Facebook? I, I put it that way, and I got a horrified look at the audience, as if to say, are you crazy? Are you mad? You want to get arrested? You know, well, what is going on here? I mean, I'm, I'm just being, I'm, I, as I said, I'm slightly uh, irreligious on this, but I, I, I've got to say it. So, but this is Rashi. Rashi's 
and Rashi is not inventing this. This is obviously from Chazal. Uh, Seder Olam. You see at the bottom in the English there is coming from Seder, a very old Midrashic text. So I'm asking myself the question, a very significant number of questions. Number one, the 37, does it make sense? You'll see in a minute, Ibn Ezra's got a real problem with it. And more to the point, if we do insist that he's 37 at the Akedah, and he was 40 years old when he got married, and Rivka was born at the Akedah, and she was only three when they got married, is that really, can we really go with that? And we've always had, right? To this very day, I think all of us have never really raised that question. We almost think it's sacrilegious to ask the question. But the Ibn Ezra, sort of, you know, he plays, I'm not going to say devil's advocate, it's not the expression I want to use. He just asks the questions that maybe we were just afraid to ask. Look at Ibn Ezra here. How and, old was she when she had the twins? Um, what does it say? She was, it was another 20 years, yeah. right? So, <laughs> 23. When she's having the twins, at least that's okay. But when she's married, I mean, it, it, it really is, it's, it's mind-boggling what's going on here. If you accept, and of course it all hinges on the Akeda and the death of Sarah being connected. And you'll see Ibn Ezra is not going to buy it. He really isn't. They're two separate parshiot. They're two separate events. And at the end of the, of, the, of the session, I'll leave you with a question, which, I, I don't know, I, I'm scared to give you the answer, but I'll leave you with a question. Listen to this. Yesh Omrim. I'm going to show you Ben because it's great. He says, Eicham Avraham, and Ashur, oh, sorry, one second, where's the, ah, second line. Rabbeinu Zal Amrum. The rabbis say, Shaya Yitzchak Hashem Ne'ekad, Ben Shloshim V'Sheva Shanim. Ben Ezra says in the second line there, in his commentary, that, According to rabbinic tradition, Yitzchak was 37 years old. So he doesn't, doesn't rule it out. He mentions it. He says, It's a tradition. We'll accept, you know, like Tev, you know, tradition, and it's a tradition. <laughs> however, however, svara. This is so Ibn Ezra. He says, let's sit down and think about this for a second. He says, Ein ze nachon. I wouldn't have said that, but he said it. It's not right. It can't be right, is it? Shehaya ra'ui. Firstly, if you say he's 37, it's got to be Yitzchak is, is the bigger hero than, than uh, Avram because he's handing himself over to Shkita. He's, he's doing a greater act in a way by being so passive. The aim and the and the the whole story Isaac is like a silent partner in the whole story here, and it really should blaze the the the, the incredible um, sacrifice that Yitzhak made, and he's not really the focus. It's Avram's the focus. He says He doesn't say who they are. Other people suggest Shaya ben that really Yitzhak was five years old. He but says Ibn Ezra he can't be. Because what does it say about the wood? Who carried the wood? Yes, he's five years old. He's a little kid. You can't schlep the wood. I mean, it's not. A three-year-old can get married, and a five-year-old can schlep wood. Yeah, but, but, but that's true. That's true. That's a good comment. But we're talking about, you know, who, who, you know, you go to super, you go to the supermarket. You know, everyone likes to schlep pekelech in this country, but the kids are not really. You know, you're not going to schlep the pekla. He says, five years old, not so much. He's carrying the wood. It's not so easy to say he was five. If you really want to think about it, come with an answer. He was around by Mitzvah 13. And he says, 
But Akadov, so his father can still control him to the point where he can tie him up and put him on, a, on an altar as such. Shalom Biratsona, even if Yitzhak is objecting, the father has still got control at the age of 13 over the child. For her age, Aviv is still a sodmi and the father hid the secret. For Amali, Himli, Rose, we just read it, God will provide the animal. Ki, and look what he says it. Ki ilu amalo ataha ola. Because if he'd said to him, you're the offering, Yitachain sheyivrach, he would have ran a mile. He would have got out of it. Never have stayed there and allowed his father to do this to him. The reality of Ibn Ezra is, is again, absolutely astounding. He's saying that what's going on here is that I know there's a tradition that he was 37 years old. And I know that, in fact, that's the Mekubal, as I said, every cheder in the world, walk around and ask all the kids, Shloshim Vesheva, no discussion. But he says, just sit down and think about it. A 37-year-old man in that situation would have got up with his father coming at him with a knife and would have run a mile or a few kilometers in this country. Whatever it is, he would have run away. The reality of it is, says Ibn Ezra, I've got to say he was around 13. Now think about it, because it makes Rivka very much more of marriageable age. Because if, if at the Akedah Yitzhak was 13, and when he got married he was 40, then do the math, Rivka would be, she born at the Akedah at the same time, she'd be 27 years old. A 40-year-old man marrying a 27-year-old woman. I put that picture on Facebook. I don't have a problem with that. It's fine. Right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good photo. It, it, it's the, there's nothing controversial about it. Right? You know, it's reality. Caravaggio was correct. So, that's, that's what I'm saying. Maybe, maybe, instead of sticking with the 37-year-old interpretation, maybe this guy Caravaggio and a whole bunch of painters, I can't, all the names, they're all famous painters, but again, I just thought one is an example. Maybe he's correct. But that's, that's very, that bothers me. Right? So what is going on? I, I tell you what really bothers me. What really bothers me, if 37, according to Ibn Ezra, doesn't make sense, then why were Chazal, the Seder Olam, why Rashi, why were they so insistent on making him 37 years old? Because once you make him 37 years old, you've got all these questions which Ibn Ezra raises, which are very valid observations. Why do we insist that he's 37 years old? Because of the death of Sarah. Because of the death of Sarah and linking them, but you've created, I'm not going to use the word monster, but you've created a situation when you link the two events and you make him 37 years old, the wedding with Rivka becomes very problematic. The whole event becomes problematic because he's a 37-year-old man. You want to say he's so passive that he'll just lay there and let his father kill him? Maybe. I'm not going to rule it out, but I like to think Yitzchak, you know, he was a man of gavura, he was a man of strength. He, he would lay there and let his father kill him like that. It, it's, very, it's very difficult. And Ibn Ezra says, no, he says probably 12 or 13. Not 5, not 37, somewhere around Bar Mitzvah. That's what he wants to say. But why did Chazal stick to the 37? Yeah. Well, one thing that bothers me with all that you're saying yeah. is that I think of Yitzhak as being Yitzhak of Inu. Correct. And in terms of him being Passive, I wouldn't think call it passive, but I would say going along with Avram, and that's what we've all said. Correct. And, and so what we've learned. That's the, from what you said. That's the only part that bothers me. That's it. And and Ibn Ezra is not prepared to accept that. Hey, look at his words. I, I, 
Yitachain sheyivrach. He's going to run away. He's not going to lay there and let this happen if he's 37 years old. I know that's the way. I, I, I've always been, you know, I remember hearing Shurim from Ramatio Salomon spoke about it in those terms because of, of the DNA that we've got from the Avot of being able to be most nefesh. There's beautiful, beautiful Ashkafot coming out of all of this. But the reality of the reality is, is this the real deal is is picture number one correct or picture number two correct this is really what I'm asking and it's fascinating uh, just questions one and then two yes it's just sorry for, for me the language of yes right partly because I also use it to tell people about what the better relationship you can have with a parent yes yeah because that's my work yeah that's not the Yeah. And I, 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 the, the Torah doesn't tell us the conversation that took place between them. Right. What it does tell us is something about the fact that they were together in what they were doing. And yeah. There's no question in my mind that he knew Jolly Well. He knew Jolly, Jolly Well was going on. I understand by Yehu Shnehem Yachto, because it was also said twice, that he was acquiescing in the task that his father had been given and that he was prepared to do it. Yeah. And that, that after all, there are lots of interpretations about the kind of person he was as a consequence of having been through this Correct. enormous thing. Correct. For me, that had been always a satisfactory... Exp- I'm not saying not, uh, this is very exciting. This is, this is truly going in another direction. Mind, very mind-blowing. <coughs> yes. But I, I just feel I want to put on the table Excellent, excellent. And I think you're absolutely correct in doing so. And as Ibn Ezra says, Kabbalah and the Kabbal, it's a tradition and it's a beautiful tradition. It, no, it's not just Kabbalah, it's actually in the it's text. It's in the text. And that's why correct. I think it's very important. Although again, Ibn Ezra will say, even though Yachdom means they walk together, but there was, there, there's no... Yitzchak doesn't know, he, he probably worked it out, what something was going on. But he, would he really believe that you know, his father would go to that extreme. Presumably that knife was hidden and, you know, he didn't see it. There's, there, there's, there's what to, there's room to interpret in, all, in, in another direction. But your point is absolutely 100%. All right? I'm not here to, 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 to up, I'm uproot. I'm with you. I'm just wanting to raise, raise the point. And because I, it's been very precious to me. And that's great. And I don't want it to no, ever become anything but precious because it is precious. Yeah. And I, I understand that. Let me just get one question over here. No, no, no. Oh. Same thing. I mean, I think same thing actually about 37 because we have, we have something that we say uh, 18 the chupa, 20 like this, and 30 like this. It has something to do with the age, meaning that we want to have a figure of a 37 year old and not of a 12 year old because, like, like we have now 70, I think it's Kamle Gura or whatever. There is like I, 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 I hear that. There is something with this, in, and therefore I, we want to have a, in, in mind a more mature person. I, 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 I accept 100%. What I'm going to tell you, and you can take this or leave it, is a completely different approach. Completely different approach. But just one, I, I just want to back up what I'm saying in terms of the age. The bottom comment, Tosfot, is on the Gemara, Yuvamot. If you turn over the page, just want to show you the relevant line. Just quoted the whole thing. He quotes the second line after he says that Rivka was three at the wedding. You see page 4, the second line in the Hebrew at the end. Baharav, Rab Shmuel, Chassid, Mishpira, one of the famous communities in, uh, in the Middle Ages in France. 
רבנו שמואל חסיד הוכיח שהייתה בת יהודלן. He says she was 14. So, according to, without going into all the details of why he gets to the number 14, it do, doesn't make her 27 like the Ibn Ezra does when she marries Yitzchak, but let's say she's 14 at the Akedah, and Yitzchak marries her when he's 40, so what would happen is that, um, you know, we, we, we're seeing here that, um, uh, one second, we're saying that... Um, Sorry, when they got married, she's 14. So, so uh, um, okay, it's, it's still young, but it's not out of the ballpark. Right? In other words, basically, what Rav Shmuel Hasid is trying to say, not quite like the Ibn Ezra in terms of the same number, but the same concept. That to say that she was three is essentially, um, we would say today, pushing the envelope. Maybe a little bit. A little bit far. Could it be that it, was, it happened before in Poland, or you marry off, Chazal may be saying the following, you know what, maybe he was 13, 
maybe he was much younger, and that solves most of our problems in terms of the marriage with Rivka. But we want to say something against the Christians who are arguing so much against us. They're saying that they had a saviour who was 33 years old when he died. And think about it, if you look, I, I just quoted this, so you can take this away and look at it. There, I found this article where it says, in coming from a very Christian uh, perspective, that the Akedah is their story, not our story. Because there's the wood, the carrying, pardon me saying, so all these mentioning these Christological things, but I just want to think about it. The wood represents the carrying, the, the cross was carried, you know, you know the whole story. It's so interesting. And what happens is, is that when you realize that Chazal are fighting a battle, proving that our way of understanding Torah is the way that we need to understand it, and that the, the people coming in with all these opposite interpretations, what does Christianity say, basically? That their Savior died for the sins of the people. He's saving people through death. We come along and say to the world, Yitzhak Avinu, 37, he was also a 37 year old man, and he lived, he didn't die. He is saving the world, if you want to call it that, but it's not the word we would use. He is making the world, tikkun olam, preparing for the Jewish people through life, not through death. Through tchiyah, not through mitah. It's such an interesting thought. Is that what's going on here? Is this really what Chazal are doing? Not to be literal about 37, but to use it because in their debates, they want to have like for like. You're saying your 33-year-old man died for you. We're saying that our 37-year-old hero, he lived for us. We believe in life. We're people who live. The chai bahem, mut bahem. And if you think about that, it's a, it, it's a suggestion. It's radical it may not wash with any of you, and I, I respect you if you reject this, but it certainly sort of made me sit up and think a bit, right? If you understand what Chazal are doing in terms of these polemics that they had with the groups around them, Christians and, and, and Essenes, and you know, you name them all, you know, you've read about them. Please. Is, is it the old Midrash about Yitzhak dying? Oh, and now you've hit the jackpot. You hit the jackpot. And was resurrected. And was resurrected. And that gives everybody, you know, it's like after Chulun, the the indigestion that you feel after Chulun. That's the indigestion you feel when you hear that. I I tell you why. There was was a wonderful professor who was in Jewish Theological Seminary, which is conservative. But he was there in the 50s when you had Salim, when you had unbelievable Tamil Chom running around there. And he came to Hebrew U, Sharm Spiegel. And he wrote a book, some of you may have it, called The Last Trial. And in this book, he, he quotes, and he talks about all of this stuff, and he found a Midrashic text quoted by one of the Rishonim who found this text, and in that text, the suggestion is that Yitzchak was actually killed by his father and brought back to... He went to Gan Eden and he came back again. That's, a, that's revolutionary. Is this a realistic Midrash, or is it got connections to a different tradition, not our tradition, and it was put in to this polemic. It was part of the proof that they wanted to bring. Look, you tell me your guy lived, we'll prove to you from a mid- your Midrashic text that he died. And of course, that becomes a very big debate, and I leave it for the academics to discuss it, and I don't want to get into that. But it is fascinating. I'll tell you why it's fascinating. Because at the end of the Akedah, and I'm just looking at the last paragraph on the page, uh, if I didn't upset you that uh, till now, I'm going to upset you even even more now. And the last paragraph of the page, 
The page five, page five, right at the bottom. The final point. Where did Yitzchak go after the Akedah? It says, Vayehu Yachtov, on the way, coming back, he's disappeared. He's gone. And it's a big question. So Chazal say he went to learn in the yeshiva of Shem Ve'eva. He didn't go to his, his mother's... Um, and he wasn't even there. There is such a big question mark. So what does this rogue Midrash suggest? He didn't go back with his father because he couldn't. He was dead. And there had to be a resurrection. That's pretty scary. Now I'm not going to say that's the shot because it can't be. But what we're saying is that there are so many question marks. You know what you can suggest? And this is so radical. Avram Avina, I know he was a credible man. But, you know, living with a father like that must have been very difficult. Because everything that he would do would be L'Shem Hashem. You know, everything. Everything is with a brand, with a fire. Eish I heard somebody say. He was full of Eish. He was a fiery man. So his father tried to kill him. Yitzhak will say to himself, if I go back with Daddy on the way back to, to where, we, where we were going home, he may try it again. I've got to go, he's got to go that way. I'm going to go the other way. I'm not, I'm not going to risk it. right? I know that's a very untraditional approach, but maybe that's what was going on. That's why Yusuf doesn't go home with Avram. I'm going to say something even more radical, and I've, I've read this recently. Sarah, when she died, she was in Hebron. Where is, where is uh, Avram? Yeah, he's in Beersheba. She dies in Hebron. Maybe she also felt, you know what? My husband is an amazing man. He's, he really has... I won't use the word lost it, but he may have just... He's overstepped them out. I can't... What is he going to do? Sorry? And he doesn't go back to her. He doesn't go back to her. Maybe she, Rather, she doesn't go back to him. Maybe. That's what happened. Sorry? How do you know that he came from Beersheba, not from Hebron? I always said that he came from Hebron. If you, if you look in different interpretations, that you can work that in. But the, the bare facts of the, of, 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 the, of the Pesukim, he's down there, and we know where Beersheba is, and we know where Hebron is. It's not exactly... No. All right, by car, it's half an hour, but in those days, it was a camel ride. It took you two days. The reality is that there's a lot of question marks after the Akedah as well. We also have to add in the fact that there's the interpretation Correct, correct. And all that happened later on. What, what, I'm, what I'm saying to you is, and this is really what, the way I want to leave this, I, I want... The, I think that the, 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 uh, uh, the legacy of these couple of shiurim, which, if you think about it, this is what I've been trying to do the whole way through. I love Parsha shiurim when everything sort of, you know, you hear the stuff and sometimes you'll hear it over again, things that you've heard, things that you like, sometimes things that you're not so sure, but it's all very nice and there's a lot of uh, guidance and musa, and don't get me wrong, it's beautiful. However, what I've tried to do is just to give a contrast, because as we get older, maybe we can allow ourselves just a little bit to think it through, and I'm not bringing you anything here which I consider to be completely out of traditional source. All right, the last interpretation, maybe. But in terms of what we've seen today, the Rashbam, we've seen the Ebenezer, these are mainstream of origin. And they had trouble accepting the, the reality of this. So, all I'm saying is that when we learn Parsha, or when we study, and we have some we can ask these questions to, I say this all the time, I've said it to students over the years, don't be afraid to ask those questions, which, like you said, I've had this question for years. So, Get that rabbi, you know, get him by the beard and say to him, Rebbe, tell me, what do you think? 
What do you really think? And, you know, interesting to hear the response. You may be told, Matonish Fregan, which is one approach. I would love to believe that today there are so many Rabbonim around this neighborhood and around Israel that you can ask the question and you can get the answer. And it makes you, it just makes your knowledge, it completes a, a process, which is the idea that you're learning every day of your life from the moment you're born, essentially, to the moment you pass away. It's an incredible thing. Have I convinced you on this last interpretation? I'll leave you to think about it. Again, if you read this piece, which I, I, I cut down just to sort of give you the bare minimum, what, what it says, the way that Christians interpret the, the Akedah is quite, quite disturbing. But, at the end of the day, we believe in life, and boy, those guys, they're, they're into the concept of, of suffering and sacrifice and death. It's scary. And this, I think, is always differentiated between our approach and essentially the rest of the world. And that's what makes our religion so powerful, so beautiful. And, please God, you know, we should continue to uh, look on the positive side. The Chai Baham. We should always live by that. There is um, no explanation why Sarah is in Hebron and Abraham in Beersheba? There is not an obvious explanation. And where did, do we find Yitzhak in expulsion? And then the... Sorry? Where is he? Where, 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 yeah, where is where he? Is where is he? That's because a, he's still alive. He's still alive. And where, where is, is he? he? And there are different suggestions, but he's certainly away from the family setting. Right? Some say he went to learn, he went to study, whatever. You've got to explain something because it's, he, he's missing. He's not there. And that, at the Hesper, he's not there. It's very challenging. That's why I said, I just want to finish one, one sentence. I just want to say that I'm leaving you with something to think about. I don't want to give you the answer, because that, that will be boring. I want you to go away and, you know, read about this. Read, look at these beautiful Sfarim coming out on Sefer Breshit. So many interesting books, Magid and Koren and all. They're all fantastic, because they, they, people are into this stuff now. And you grow from this. You become a better person, a more knowledgeable person. I don't want to spoil the grandchildren's perception of 37, so please don't go into all that stuff. But... For yourselves, maybe just to be a little bit more aware. I'll leave it at that. Thank you so much.